Life Audio. Sometimes I wonder how they watch me as I sit in this chair each day. This fixed spot in front of my windowsill, silent and still. Like I watched my mother as she sat on the back patio and wondered what was happening inside her silent world. I wonder if one day they will ask, like I asked, about what happens there in that chair, or will they not care at all? I'm Jody Nisnik, and you're listening to so much more. And after a quick word from our sponsors, my guest, Drew Jackson, and I will be back to talk about how poetry can help us slow down to contemplate the things of God. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Drew Jackson is the founding pastor of Hope East Village in New York City. He's the author of two poetry collections, God Speaks Through Wombs, Poems on God's Unexpected Coming and Touch the Earth, Poems on the Way. He writes poetry at the intersection of justice, peace, and contemplation with a passion to contribute toward a more just and whole world. He and his wife have twin daughters, and they currently live in Lower Manhattan. Well, Drew, thank you so much for making space to be with us today. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's so good to be on. Well, I'd love for you to just start with telling us a little bit about your journey into poetry, Mm. because if I'm understanding correctly, this is not something you've always done. So I'd love to know, you know, how did that happen for you? Yeah, um, you're right. It, it hasn't been something that I've always done. Um, I really started writing poetry in the form that I'm writing in now. Um, really at the beginning, towards the beginning of the pandemic is when I started writing. Um, but I always say that uh, my I think my love for, for poetry and words um, came when I was when I was young, um, so I'm the youngest of four boys, and my older brothers, I mean, they were very, very much into hip hop, and so I would, uh, I have distinct memories of, you know, riding in the back of my oldest brother's car and hearing music and being drawn to words, mm-hmm. um, and just how they, you know, fit together the sounds that they're making. Um, and yeah, it, it was something that I uh, just, 
I don't know. It, it captivated my my imagination just as to how how you can make music with words and and tell a story mm-hmm. in uh, just a few words. Uh, my mom was also an artist. So she was a, a visual artist, but a writer and a poet as well. And so I think I, you know, come by it honestly in that way. Um, and uh, I, when I was in college, I started doing some writing of my own that was more like I would write lyrics. But then when I, like in my 20s, I kind of stopped writing in that way, but I started writing, all my writing was sermon writing, right? And so I, I sort of felt like I put the the other stuff to the side. But what I realized is that, um, and somebody pointed this out to me, was that so much of my sermons were poetic in nature, mm. right? And so it was coming through mm-hmm. in, the, in the sermons, through the sermons, um, but it took somebody calling that out highlighting that. And then um, I really just was like, okay, maybe that's an invitation to lean back into this Mm -hmm. aspect of who I am. Mm -hmm. When you started writing, did it feel a little risky to start sharing some of these things? I mean, what was that? You know, you're in the pandemic, we're all locked down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Tell me, tell me about that. Who did you share with? And, and what was, what was that first, you know, exposure? What did that feel like? Yeah. Oh, Definitely, definitely risky. Um, I mean, I the first person I share with was my wife. Um, I was just, hey, check this out, read this. Um, and yeah, it was she. She's she's been like the biggest encouragement for me this whole time. Um, honestly, there would be no book. <laughs> there would be no books without her. She, I love it. She was really mm-hmm. the one that was like, you got to put this out there. You got to do something with this. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, but it was definitely something that was like a risk. But I I just started sharing, um, you know, here and there on uh, social media. It was more, but it started for me as something first and foremost as a as a spiritual practice, writing the reading and writing of poetry as spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I needed something, especially at the you know those, the beginning stages of the pandemic and being in New York City and in a tiny apartment with my then five year old girls. It was just it was a lot, and so um, poetry became. I always say that poetry found me during that time and uh, allowed me to. I think I needed a I needed a practice that was spacious, um, spacious enough to hold questions and not something that was just about mm-hmm. providing answers mm-hmm. and poetry, both reading poetry and writing poetry became that for me because I had a lot of questions. I think as we all did and still do, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was just about um, the global pandemic or um, just the racial violence that was happening across our nation and just wrestling with the realities of those things. And yeah, I, I just, I needed something in poetry. Poetry was, was mm-hmm. a gift to me mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. You use the word spiritual practice and I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. You know, on the podcast, we do a practice of Lectio Divina as mm-hmm. this prayerful way to just help us slow down and contemplate meditate on God's word. And I would love to know more about your process, because I imagine that you have to do some of your own slowing and contemplating, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting to a place where you can actually hold the text and hear from the spirit, then bring it forward into something new. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I really think that uh, poetry is a, a practice of attention 
first and foremost, anyway. That's one thing I've noticed just uh in in getting to know other poets, reading uh, you know, other poets' work and and engaging in the writing myself is that so much of of poetry is just paying attention to the the small happenings of a day, the things that most of us will just pass over or, you know, rush by that we're drawn to, right? There's a poet named uh, Elizabeth Alexander. She says, poetry is the dust in the corner, right? It's the, it's the thing that you pass by. Um, but for some reason you're drawn to that and it begins to speak and it begins to tell a story and it takes you somewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be true for myself. So when I'm, when I'm writing poetry, um, especially as I was working on these collections that are interacting with in conversation with the gospel of Luke, right? I, I'm sitting with a text and my goal was not to write a commentary on Luke. It was more to, like I said, just kind of be in conversation with it and see what wanted to arise out of that. Um, I wanted to bring my full self to uh, these conversations and just see, okay, what wants, what's arising in me, what's rising to the surface in me. So there's a paying attention to that aspect of things. There's also paying attention to the text and saying, okay, this isn't, maybe it's a, a word mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is, is capturing me, is drawing me in right now that I'm being invited to pay attention to. Maybe it's a, uh, a collection of verses, or maybe there's just a, some sort of feeling or emotion that's coming out of the text. How do I pay attention to that? So that was part of um, the process. When I would come to a text, I would just pay attention and maybe I would read it and then just kind of walk away from it and go about my day. Mm-hmm. And then uh, usually I'm the sort of, I'm the sort of writer that usually a first line will come to me uh, and I'll just jot it down in my phone and then I'll revisit it later. And I don't necessarily have an idea of where the poem is going. Um, but that's part of the, it's part of the, the, the enjoyment for me is to sit with that line and say, okay, how does this poem want to unfold? What story does this poem want to tell? And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, just seeing, seeing where it goes and seeing how it wants to be in conversation with this text over here and the world at large and my own soul and all of those things. So it's, paying attention to the interactions between all of those different spaces and then just the presence of God in, in, in that moment mm-hmm. of saying, okay, God, like, how are you present in these words and feelings and, you know, the spaces between the words, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I've, I've heard many writers say that, and I know it's true for me as well, that I don't know where I'm going until I start mm-hmm. doing it. And it feels like God, the spirit is working things out in me, which is one of the reasons why even journaling has become such an important practice in my life. And Mm -hmm. this feels like just a much more artistic way for you to journal than probably my long rambling (laughs) (laughs) run on sentences to God. But I, yeah, I love that, that, you know, you move away, it's just kind of in your head turning around and then something comes and it's, it's just the beginning, a seed. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the other part of that too, and why I think poetry became a practice for me during this time, as opposed to just journaling, which is, I've had the practice of journaling, but poetry is different because I think in poetry, there was something about not having to feel like I needed to kind of come to a closure Mm -hmm. or answer or anything, especially as someone who writes a lot of sermons and sermons are very much about 
you want to make this clear for the people who are receiving it. You want to, mm-hmm. you know, there's some sense of giving some people something to hold on to. And I think with poetry, it was just like, no, I don't need to do that. And that was freeing for me. That was freeing for me to just come with a question, embrace the mystery and say, that's okay. Mm-hmm. I can sit with this. I can embrace this. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love the thought of noticing asking questions and and not pretending even to have the answers because a lot of mm-hmm. times we don't and there's just something in our human nature that wants to answer all of the questions and a lot of, and we can't so I love I love that mm-hmm. poetry helps you really and and even as I've been reading your poetry you're just pointing things out you're helping me notice something and I just I've really appreciated that we're going to pause here for a quick break and then we'll be right back What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. You know, some of your poems, and you alluded to this already, they just feel very personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure they all are in some way, but some of them feel very autobiographical in some mm-hmm. way, like I'm getting this little glimpse into your life. And so I would just love for you choose one of the poems that's really personal for you. And would you read it for us and tell us what what text from Luke it comes out of and just maybe unpack it for us a little bit why you went there. Yeah, I would love to. I'll read this poem. It's very that is real, really personal and autobiographical. It's called "Silence Disrupted," and it comes from Luke, uh, chapter nine, verse eleven. And this text is uh, Jesus getting away to a quiet place, um, but in his retreat, he's disrupted um, by by people who want more from him. Right? Silence disrupted. Pop worked long hours, so the weekend was a haven for him. The length of Saturday spent in the cave of his bedroom. Tiger Woods hitting drives down the center of the green on the TV screen. A bag of hot cheese curls already half eaten. I could hear him drifting in and out of sleep as snores vibrated the hallway walls. 
the voice that we all have whispered on the inside. He'd rather not be bothered. But like the shot heard round the world, I would burst through the doorway, plopping my body next to his, lying sideways across the bed. That's when he said, how's it going, bud? And I knew I was welcome to settle in. <laughs> yeah. So this this poem is about my dad. And just the memory of, you know, those, those Saturdays where, you know, he would, he would, he would have a long week of work and, um, would take some time on Saturday just to, just to rest, just to, you know, watch golf or whatever. And, uh, I just, yeah, I have a, I have that memory of here, like knowing he was in there, knowing he was resting, but being drawn to just kind of wanting to, hang out, mm -hmm. be proximate, sort of that tension between do I just let him sleep? Do I go in there? And choosing to go in. But I think what the memory does for me is it, it just, I don't know, it, it reminds me of the gift of my dad's hospitality, mm. of his, not like in, in those moments, like he didn't shoo me away and say, I'm trying to sleep. There was just this welcome. Mm -hmm. welcome me, me into his space of rest rather than trying to guard it and it was a uh, obviously it marked me it did something for me um and it it's something that i think is constantly showing up for me in my relationship with my daughters of i'm being remind i'm always reminded of that memory of how do i welcome them in like what's what what is the how, how do you as a parent right you know with with children with small children how do you both constantly welcome and then also know what what your limits are right. right and how you protect what you know what rest needs to look like and so yeah it, it's just that it, it's that question that sits at the core of that poem for me but also just that remember that remembrance of hospitality and just gratitude for my dad and the way that he loved loved us so well mm -hmm. in that way yeah it's such a picture of a loving father in that moment yeah. And and what a picture of and I love how even reading that poem not only did I feel like I got this glimpse into your life but I felt like I understood Jesus in some way. And that mm. was and that mm. was the point. You know, he's trying yeah. to draw away and the people can't mm. leave him alone, the disciples can't leave him alone and he doesn't chastise them for it. He welcomes them in mm. and so that yeah. was just Beautiful. Thank mm -hmm. you for sharing that with us. Yeah. When I introduced you, I said that you write at the intersection of justice, peace, and contemplation. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about that and then maybe share a poem that helps us catch a glimpse of that. Yeah. I think for me, when I say that, I could say that I write there, but I could say I that's where I live. That's where I do mm. all of the my work in the world is really at that intersection, I just feel like those things, just the work of justice, the work of peacemaking, and I distinguish between those two um, only often because like in my mind, uh, peacemaking or the making of shalom in the world is like you can't separate justice from that. It, it's it's They're one and the same. But I think in our minds, when we think about peace and justice, we think about two different things uh, sometimes. And so, but 
that element of contemplation that is core to doing the work of peace and justice in the world for me is, is something that I feel like I'm always trying to bring in to say, we need deep wells to draw from mm-hmm. when we're engaging um, just the work of joining God in this work of making all things mm-hmm. new. It's good. It, because we can so easily get burnout. We can so easily do things from a place of just a lens of thinking that we we know best, we know right. And sort of, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. what, is it, what does it look like to stay grounded, to stay in a place and a posture of humility? And just to understand that I am not a source of love, I am a conduit. And so what does it mean for me to stay connected to love itself? Mm-hmm. And to, you know, for mm-hmm. that to flow through me as I show up in the world world to to write you know to do this work and so i think that that is the 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 contemplative element for me yeah just i've had a passion for a long time i don't know i think it's probably comes from my parents yeah they just they just had a deep heart for for the work of justice in the world they weren't you know shy about talking about that i I saw them in the way that they cared for people and the ways that i mean even there are some poems in here where i talk about my mom and just the ways that you know, she just unapologetically stood up for the things that were right and, and wasn't afraid to challenge status quo. But that for her was something that I knew, even if she didn't say it explicitly, like I knew it was tied to her relationship with Jesus. Like it it was flowing out of that. Mm-hmm. And so that was just something that was always fascinating to me. And then as I came to discover that at core of who Jesus is, I was like, yeah, there's, we need to lean into this more and more. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, so I think that's for me why I say that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'd love to, to share a poem where some of these things come together. So I have a, a poem called Forgive Them, Father, which is written in reflection on that portion of, you know, Luke's gospel where Jesus is on the cross and he says, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. This, uh, this poem has an epigraph, um, a quote from uh, Father Richard Rohr before where he says, we must become intentional about recognizing and embracing our shadows. Religion's word for this is quite simply forgiveness, which is pivotal and central on the path of transformation. Forgive them, Father. What is it that we do not know? Do not let us off so easily with the charge of cluelessness. Our aggression cannot be so easily dismissed. Neither can our oblivion. We know what it is to dip our hands in blood. We know what it is to witness such a thing and keep our mouths shut, saying nothing. We know what it is, a cardinal sin, to abandon our friends when they're in need. We have learned well the art of victim-blaming, shaming our weapon of choice. We are not innocent. We are part and parcel of this slaughter. It brings me to tears in some ways. Mm. It's power. I mean, there's just, when you said, we know what it is, a cardinal sin to abandon our friends when they're in need. And we have learned well the art of victim blaming, shaming our weapon of choice. I, that just, thank you for your words. 
Thank you for, for allowing me to share that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I think in that, in that poem, I'm wrestling with the, both the, the sort of cosmic question of, of our sort of the human culpability and just the violence mm-hmm. and the suffering of the world, the way that we are all complicit, the way that that shows up in that very, instance of the crucifixion of Jesus and how that is a reflection of Mm. what we've done. Right. But also that tension between Jesus saying they don't know what they're doing. There is a sense in which we are unaware (laughs) that it's the shadow side of us that we're just, we just can't see, or we refuse to see. So, yeah. So you hear that in the poem that sort of wrestle between, yeah, we know, no, we know, we know, but there's this other sense in which we really don't right there. And, and so, yeah, it's good. I I think when I've read that in the past, it's kind of been an easy pass is how I've read it. Oh, they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think you're calling us to say, well, while we don't know, we do know some things. Yeah. And we are very much accountable for those. Mm-hmm. So we can't be easily let off the hook. Mm. That's powerful. Yeah. And convicting. <laughs> I mean, to me, I have another poem um, earlier in the book uh, where reflecting on the passage where Jesus, I think it's his first, he, this is the first time he's telling the disciples that he's going to be killed. Mm. and But he simply says, the son of man is going to be delivered into human hands. I mean, that in and of itself, it's just, he doesn't need to say anymore because it's, he's saying something about human hands, about what humanity is capable of. Uh, and yeah. And so we see that in the crucifixion itself, there is, yeah, we see on full display what God is like in the, in the crucified Jesus. But we also are, are invited to see ourselves. Mm-hmm. What is, what is humanity like? What are we capable of? What have we done? Uh, what do we do to each other? What do we do to the earth? What do we do to the God who holds it all together? Like it, it's just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sobering. I keep it's sobering. thinking as you're saying so, that, come Lord Jesus, yeah. come. And yet until you do, we are called to yeah. bring bring your kingdom to earth in some way, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I love the way that the Lord is inviting you to do that in this season. Mm-hmm. We meditated in the, the meditation podcast on Luke 11, one through four. And I'll just read it for us real quick. It's It says this, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Mm. I'm so glad that you suggested that passage for us to meditate on. And I know that you spent a little time even contemplating it before we got on the call. So tell us just a little bit about where the Lord led you as you did that. Yeah, I, you know, as I was um, reading and just sitting with the text, um, coming back to it again and again. The, the, the phrase that kept, you know, resounding in my soul was one that I don't know. I just, I felt like the spirit kept saying to me, come away for a while, mm-hmm. come away for a while. And, and, 
as I sat with that, um, I think it just, you know, seeing, seeing Jesus in this rhythm of prayer going away to a certain place, I was thinking about, I, I was invited to sort of sit with preparing for the season of Lent and that there's a sense in which, you know, we are, I am in this moment, um, being invited to, to come away for a little while. Mm-hmm. You know, for me in particular, I'm, I'm in a season of transition right now. Um, I'm transitioning out of, uh, my pastoral role. I've been pastoring this community at Hope East Village for the past six years. Um, but pastoring longer than that. And, um, this transition's a big one for me and for our family, but there's a, uh, a beautiful invitation I, I sense that that the spirit is giving to rediscover what intimacy with God looks like apart from my connection to my role as a pastor mm-hmm. and to you know uncover some of the ways that I've been you know unconsciously you know we just talked about the shadow and just all of the just unconsciously you know, coming to God or, you know, in relationship with God to get something, whether that's something for, you know, in hopes for something for the community or something, you know, it, and just to say, you know what, come away for a while for the sake of love. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And that's enough. And so there's just a, 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 I think just this invitation to rediscover that in a fresh way. Um, for me during the season of Lent. And so that's what was really coming up for me as I began to sit with this passage. Mm-hmm. It's good. Mm-hmm. So I counted that there are three poems that you've attributed to this short passage. Yeah. I'd love for you to choose, choose one of them and walk us through, read mm-hmm. the poem to us and, and just help us see how it came about. Yeah. Mm. This one is uh called Curious Observation. So it's written reflecting on the first verse of Luke 11. It says, Sometimes I wonder how they watch me as I sit in this chair each day, this fixed spot in front of my windowsill, silent and still, like I watched my mother as she sat on the back patio and wondered what was happening inside her silent world. I wonder if one day they will ask, like I asked, about what happens there in that chair, or will they not care at all? One of the things I love about this passage in Luke 11 is that one of the disciples comes and asks Jesus, teach us how to pray. And presumably there's something about their, their observation of Jesus in prayer, of Jesus praying in a certain place that, that sparks this question, right? They, that there's something about the prayer life of Jesus. And, and I, I love that this is the only passage in the gospels where we see the disciples directly ask Jesus to teach them how to do something. Mm-hmm. Right. So we never see them say, teach us how to preach or teach us how to cast out demons or heal or mm. teach us how to pray. So good. And so, yeah, there's something. So there must be, there's something about the prayer life of Jesus that is so other from what they're used to that they're drawn to ask, teach us that. And so that just, that, that took me, uh, and reflecting on that, it took me to 
you know, my own prayer life and my relationship with my daughters, them seeing me in prayer. And, you know, that also took me to me seeing my own mother in prayer and how um, I remember asking her about, what are you doing? You know, what are her, and she would just sit in silence and stillness and, and her sort of inviting me into that space with her and teaching me about the life of prayer and teaching me about the purpose of silence and just, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. prayer that goes beyond words and all of those sorts of things. Right. And, but it's, there's also the question for me that sits at the, the heart of that poem that's, you know, are, is this something that my daughters will care about? I don't know. We'll see. Right. And so it's, it's, it's more of that, just giving voice to that desire, um, both that they, I hope they ask. I hope that they, I hope that they're drawn to something or what, what, what is it going to look like for me to teach them how to pray? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's really where that came from. So good. It's such a rich legacy that you've been given and the heart desire to pass it on. Mm. And I think that is for every Christian parent is just such a deep, deep heart desire. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us, Drew. This yeah. has just been really a life-giving conversation for me. So thank you so much for making space to be with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jody. It's been a real gift to be on with you. Well, friends, I do want to let you know that IVP Drew's publisher is graciously giving us 30% off and free shipping for his book, Touch the Earth, Poems on the Way, Walking Through the Gospel of Luke, well, chapter nine on. So I do hope you'll grab a copy. It is inspired and it's inspiring. It has been a true gift for me to, I think you said at the very beginning, it's, it's this practice of paying attention and it's helping me pay attention to God's word. So thank you. Drew, for your work in that. I'll put links in the show notes for where you can find that, how you can, the codes, all the things. So everything will be there in the show notes and also how you can connect with Drew and um, and stay in touch with him. So friends, I also do want to take a quick second to just thank the team of Life Audio for their partnership with us. So if you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find that they have dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network, shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and even this one on scripture meditation and thoughtful conversations. So as always, friends, I want to thank you for joining me and Drew today on So Much More because we really do believe Jesus has so much more to say to us and we are creating space to listen. Our world can feel chaotic and uncertain. But we don't have to live enslaved to fear. Christ has promised me and you his peace and throughout scripture has provided powerful tools and practical steps to help us experience greater freedom. I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, inviting you to join me and my team as together we learn how to starve our fears and feed our faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com or wherever you access podcast content.